Heads up, everybody. I'm B. Francis Clark. And I'm Anton Anderson. And this is Sky is Black, future-facing conversations with experts, innovators, and entrepreneurs of African descent. Covering the entire black African diaspora. What, 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 what? Worldwide, baby. <laughs> Worldwide. Shout out to Amanda Alexander. Amanda is the CEO of the Detroit Justice Center. The Detroit Justice Center is a nonprofit law firm working alongside communities to create economic opportunities, transform the justice system, and promote equitable and just cities. You can follow Amanda on Twitter at A underscore S underscore Alexander and learn more at DetroitJustice.org. Shout out to Michael Davis and Douglas Schindler. They're the founders of the Black Library in Monticello, New York. Their whole initiative is to celebrate black culture and to create a collaborative educational space for residents of Sullivan County, New York, and to act as an incubator for the next generation of local artists. They just signed a lease, so they have a building, a bank building. (laughs) Um, You can find out more about them at theblacklibraryny.com. Shout out to Nelly Chaboy. Nelly is the founder of Tech Lit Africa. Tech Lit Africa provides computer classes in rural African primary schools, equipping students with digital skills to unlock global opportunities. You can follow Nelly on Twitter at N-E-L-L-Y underscore C-H-E-B-O-I and learn more at techlitafrica.org. This is a big one. Shout out to Kyla Thomas, Michael Enye, Zaria Williams, Rachel Turner, Canada Montgomery, Tamia Porter, and all the amazing doctors who just that just got their residency information on Match Day, which was last week. And I happened to be just sort of cruising around Instagram and stumbled upon the hashtag Match Day 2023, and obviously just a sea of smiling faces. And it was such a thrill to see a sea of smiling, different sorts of faces. So many women as newly minted doctors and so many newly minted black women as doctors. I mean, like Canada Montgomery is the 31st black female neurosurgeon in the United States. The fact that it's that small of a number is a challenge, but also the fact that, that it's growing. And so Vanderbilt stand up. Well, yeah, Tamia Porter, you know, she is the very first black female neurosurgeon in Vanderbilt's history. So congratulations to her and Canada and all the other doctors. Once again, just do a search on hashtag match day 2023. And shout out to Anna Ecoledo. Sister Anna is the founder of Afrolabs. Afrolabs is working to grow the African tech ecosystem through innovation labs, capacity building, financing, advocacy, and networking. You can follow Anna on Twitter at A-N-N-A-E-K-E-L-E-D-O, Anna Ecoledo, and learn more at afrolabs.com. That's A-F-R-I-L-A-B-S, afrolabs.com. And shout out to Heather McGee. We've talked about her before. Mm -hmm. She's written a book called The Sum of Us. Uh, with subtitle of what racism costs everyone and how we can prosper together. And she's a frequent guest on The Daily Show. Uh, And in fact, this past week, she was on with Al Franken. And she has a new version of her book, you know, The Sum of Us, adapted towards younger audiences, talking about how, once again, how 
racism hurts everyone, how we can all prosper together, as she said, you know, how we can all do better if we're all doing better. Amen. You can find out more about her at heathermcgee.com. That's Heather, H-E-A-T-H-E-R, McGee, M-C-G-H-E-E.com. And thank you, fellow Wayfarers, for joining us in this part two of our episode. All right, so you just mentioned Heather McGee on The Daily Show. Here's a little tiny clip of what she had to say. You're my favorite guest. You've been on three times. You're my favorite guest. You're so brilliant. Now, you're an economist, you, as, and uh, you, uh, the I first mean, time we yeah. met was during the banking crisis, yeah. and we talked uh, a lot about that, um, subprime loans, et cetera. Um, and housing has always been a big part in the gap uh, in terms of wealth between blacks and whites. Can you explain where that's where that kind of started. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always say wealth is where history shows up in your wallet. And, you know, it's funny at the, on our part one of this conversation, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about, you know, the banker and that is a touchstone for our conversation about finances. I especially liked, you know, her comments about wealth. Mm-hmm. And I especially liked her comments about, you know, going back again to the banker about how, you know, property values and owning property and banking all sort of tie into all of this. And so how important it is for us as we move forward to always keep our eye on the ball or keep our eye on the wallet. Uh, and, uh, and as you were saying earlier, you know, make sure you go after the bag. Mm-hmm. Also earlier in the episode, I mentioned the Guinness world record for robot jump roping. Yes. Now the speed record for flying jetpacks, which you know, I'm not sure if we've talked about this on the podcast or not, but it's something that I absolutely love. And you'll never uh, see me on. <laughs> well, you never know. The actual speed record is 85 miles an hour, mm-hmm. which, you know, is fast, but, I mean, we've seen faster. So the founder of JetSuit Jetpacks is in the process of creating a competition. So he wants to get celebrities and athletes to participate in an aerial slalom race. That is done over water, so a little bit safer. Doesn't mean you can't. Crashing with the stars. Right. I love that, actually. <laughs> crashing with the stars. I love that. And, of course, it doesn't mean, I mean, crashing into water doesn't mean that you can't kill yourself. But to me, it sounds super cool. And so you said that you won't do it. I, on the other hand, say, sign this brother up. Yeah, no, no, thank you. But, you know, I think they should, one of the first celebrities they should get to do this should be Robert Downey Jr. Followed by Ironheart. <laughs> whatever that sister's name is I, we should know that it's not on the tip of my tongue yet we'll look it um, up but i think they since they are in the iron man suits and sort of flying around like that i think they should be the first ones in ter- on the celebrity side who and are of course you get robert Mackey in there too banker stand up that's true actually yeah. yep right on yes indeed there we go see it all ties back in ladies and gentlemen which goes back dear listener if you haven't done your homework to watch the banker you know we're watch it because we're going to keep coming back to it yes Did you see that comment from James Cameron talking about the next Terminator film? No. He said that the next Terminator movie should focus directly on artificial intelligence. Actually, here's what he said. Quote, if I were to do another Terminator film and maybe try to launch that franchise again, which is in discussion, but nothing's been decided, 
I would make it much more about the AI side of it than bad robots gone crazy. Well, it was the AI that told the robots to go crazy. Mm -hmm. So there you go. And I like that idea. So we will see what happens with that. Instead of Skynet, it's Sydney. Series cousin, Sydney. (laughs) All right. So we've been talking about money moves and why people of African descent must secure the bag and pass along that wealth to the next generation. And again, as we said in part one, you will be hard pressed to find us not discussing some aspect of economic empowerment, Ujama, or collective money moves. So let's very quickly recap where we are in regards to our AI discussion. First of all, you should have all taken a look at our conversation menu. If you haven't and don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go to recollect.media, which is our hub, so to speak, recollect.media. Click on Sky is Black and see the stories and issues that will be guiding our AI conversation this season. It is essentially a list of articles and resources that is updated almost every day now. So you will see stories and articles about what ChatGPT is exactly as expressed by OpenAI itself. You can see the Stochastic Parrots anniversary event if you haven't already. It was really fantastic. It was. There are articles regarding how AI is disrupting human resources, how it's already impacting governance in the legal profession, how it's being used by dating apps and cooking apps and nutrition apps and even by fashion companies. You'll see what the Writers Guild has to say about the utilization of AI, how it's being used to improve your credit, how it's being used for cancer detection. And of course, there is a growing list of real-time articles and updates regarding what Microsoft, Gmail, Snapchat, Meta, and the rest are doing with AI. So that is just one of the reasons why you should be subscribing to this podcast. If you haven't officially subscribed already, do so. And even if you're listening right now, feel free to go to that resource. Check it out. Again, recollect.media. All right, so we began this season, season two, with a conversation with Tamit Gebru. Tamit was our 2021 Sky's Black Person of the Year and the founder of DARE, the Distributed AI Research Institute. In that conversation, we talked mostly about ChatGPT3 and why artificial intelligence is problematic as currently rendered. From there, we turned to other players in the AI ecosystem, specifically the Algorithmic Justice League, founded by Joy Bulawini and AI for the People, founded by Mutale Nkonde. We talked about coded bias and coded racism in AI, and we talked about the need to decode this bias, along with a few theoretical strategies to do that. So in summary, the conclusion from our experts of African descent is that because prejudice and racism and sexism and hatred and pseudoscience and historical deception and fake news and fake truths are woefully present in humanity's digital archive, artificial intelligence, as of right now in 2023, is both problematic and potentially dangerous for black people and other communities around the world, especially other communities of color. So that's where we are. So let's continue. Yes. But before we talk about some additional causes for concern and some additional players in the AI ecosystem. And before we talk about what an AI oversight agency might look like, 
I think we should recalibrate for just a second. So far, our conversation is trending toward the dystopian, and with some good reason. But <laughs> you, but you, being an optimist, yes. surely have a more hopeful perspective on things. I do. In your estimation, if we can decode the bias and decode the racism that is currently embedded in our AI systems, what more appealing and exciting future can you see for humanity if we utilize artificial intelligence constructively and for our shared benefit? Well, I think that, you know, much in the same way that we're right now reframing this conversation, mm -hmm. I think that we need to reframe what we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we as, that's we as a society, that's we as a society, perhaps even we as a species. Mm -hmm. Because... Well, Cata, stand up. <laughs> but there's this whole notion of, like, AI being, like, you know, this all-knowing, all-seeing, and everything else. And as Tamit was saying in our initial conversation, you know, like we're creating some sort of secular god or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's really where so much of it becomes problematic. Whereas... If we really, if if you do a deep dive on some of these papers, and I've had a chance to read Stochastic Parrots, and I'm slowly, because they're dense, I'm slowly grinding my way through a couple of these papers, because professionally, some of my clients have begun to ask about it. Mm -hmm. But if you look a little deeper, really what we're talking about, I mean, AI is kind of like the, the cool, sexy thing to say. And they, they even talked about it on the Stochastic Parrots. Sleek and very sexy. Yeah. and uh, Not. But, but, but really... What this is, is sort of like next generation machine learning mm -hmm. uh, in the sense of the, the machine being able to do very, very fast analysis of things and very, very fast predictive, you know, because what ChatGPT is, is really a predictive model for how words come together. But very much an evolutionary leap, though. Oh, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not debating that. Mm -hmm. but, but my point is, is that... If you recast it as opposed to being intelligent and saying, oh, it's, you know, it is inspired, you know, like you see with some of the generative art things like Mid Journey and Dolly, and to where it's composing, you know, novel works. And if you're, you're we're anthropomorphizing this tool. Don't you talk about Siri. <laughs> my, my kids actually really enjoy asking Siri to tell it a joke, tell us a joke. It's actually pretty funny. Mm -hmm. Actually, one of our, um, one of our best jokes actually came from serious aside. It's like, um, it's, it's like, you know, do you want to hear a chemistry joke? Uh, I'm actually, I'm going to do it poorly, but next time, um, next time ask Siri to tell you a joke and, and you'll get it. And it, it's one of those, um, thing, you know, have you ever heard about the joke about helium? And it's the, the punchline is he, he, which is the, mm -hmm chemical symbol for helium. No, Siri's got jokes. Siri's got jokes. But but if you recast it as simply next generation, big leap, of course, machine learning, and think about applications there as opposed to thinking of it as this this oracle, this this you know, this you know all knowing omniscient thing. I think that's really the the thing that we should do. Because for example, just going you know, very, very micro, you know, I've noticed that my phone, my smartphone, has gotten ever smarter. 
and to where about a year and a half ago, this is a silly example, ladies and gentlemen, so, so bear with me for a second. About a year and a half ago, I sort of threw out my home screen on my apps on my smartphone. I have like just a handful of apps that I show, but then the rest of them are all series suggestions, which is machine learning, artificial intelligence, where, where the device thinks about what I've done before, and there I am, anthropomorphizing it. You know, thinks, but it analyzes the patterns of my prior behavior and analyzes that my prior behavior with my geoc, my location, and uh, who knows what other factors are being included in that. And then it presents me with the apps it thinks I want to see. Once again, anthropomorphizing what it thinks, but it presents to me uh, an analysis of the apps that are likely to be ones I'm going to use. And I found that to be incredibly helpful because as we've all gotten more and more apps on our phone and our devices, you know, pulling up the right one quickly has become a challenge. Cause you're like, Oh, where is it? And you have them in folders. And maybe you, you've got just like five screens you got to swipe through or you got, or even you have to like do a search or whatever. Siri, open up, fill in the blank. Or you can do that, but I generally am working quietly, um, you know, on my phone, so I don't really want to have it talk to me. That's just, once again, me. But the idea that it is using machine learning, mm-hmm. dare I say artificial intelligence, to present to me something that could be potentially useful based on its analysis, I think that's sort of, it's kind of like going down that path. I've actually, in the last month or so, actually, I've taken it one step further to where I'm actually, uh, during certain times of day, it doesn't present me with any apps at all. It presents me with widgets saying, here's your calendar and here's a couple of other things, including an up, up in one corner. Here's the app the system analyzes and predicts might be the one I might want to use most often at this point of time of day, wherever I am. And it's actually largely on the money, better than 80%. And the idea that machine learning, this dare I say artificial intelligence, can be a helpful tool and do what the robots are good at. Robots are good at storing and retrieving information. Robots are good at doing these large en masse analyses. Robots are good at jumping rope. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, that's, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> I know No one's going to ever want to watch me with jump rope. So if we can take these machine learning tools and allow them to do the things that they're really good at as tools, I think that's so much better. I mean, in the sense that the example that I, I, I've used before is, you know, right now it's called Adobe Firefly, I believe, the new plugin that uses generative AI. And I haven't had a chance to play with it, um, you know, as it, in terms of it being baked into Photoshop. But I think that, you know, having it be a tool that then can help Express your creativity to, for example, when I took art classes in undergrad, you know, we had to draw. And everyone should learn how to draw, just to be clear. So passe. (laughs) But you can use Adobe Illustrator, and it does a perfect Bezier curve. And it does it, and, you know, and you can tell it to blend these two curves together. Narrow artificial intelligence to blend the curves together. Very narrow, by the way. But the idea, just to take that and just to keep running with it by orders of magnitude, by saying, I want to fill in this background with, you know, cumulonimbus clouds. I'm not sure if there's actually cumulonimbus clouds. I'm just made up that term. But 
and maybe the system would would know that I'm blending two types of clouds and would put in the background exactly something like that. And some flying jetpacks. Let's put some <laughs> flying jetpacks back in there too. A little but, rainbow jetpacks. But that's where that's where I think it can go. And for those of you who want to go really old school, while you're there looking at Heather McGee's uh, clip on YouTube about the sum of us, mm-hmm. since you're already there, do a search on Apple's Knowledge Navigator from like the 1980s, where the professor is talking to a digital agent and doing his research and say, oh, take the studies from, from South America and compare them to the one in this other place and tell me where there's overlap and give me a list of all the sources to where essentially the machine, the computer, was being a research assistant as opposed to the direction that we're going in now where it's doing the research and coming back with an arguably flawed um, but what seems like a canonical answer, and for those of you like, well, how do you know it's flawed? I go back to what Tamit said and go back to an obvious aphorism you often hear in technology, garbage in, garbage out. And just to, if you don't want to do any of those, that, those, that, those kinds of following of the links, just remember that right now these things are being advertised as being the sum, you know, the summary and analysis and sort of like distillation of all of humanity's knowledge. Except for one problem, ladies and gentlemen. All of humanity is not in there. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and so, I mean, only half the plants on the internet. So only half the stories are being told. Only half of humanity's knowledge is being captured. There's so many cultures and so many points of view and so much information that hasn't even been captured yet. And so, even if you dispute my notion of garbage in, garbage out, which anyone who's used a computer of any sort knows, but let's just take the flip side of that. You can only get, if you only have half of the world's knowledge in, you cannot get something comprehensive out. It's an easier final, though. (laughs) So... That's the thing, is that being able to then use this as a tool, as a machine learning tool, Mm -hmm. whether it's showing you the app that you are most likely to use or whether it's helping you do your research, whatever it is, having it be a tool that you say, hey, my wife's a researcher. If she were to feed this algorithm, you know, and I did call it an algorithm, so sorry, Sydney. (laughs) But if you feed it all these papers and say, okay, Come back to me and give me a sense of, you know, what, you know, distill it back to me and give me even more sources that are out there on the internet. Do this, does it need to be vetted? Yes. But, but some of it can actually be very simple. Like, for example, another example is that for one of the papers that my wife was publishing, she, she, I won't even say she hired me. <laughs> she asked me very nicely commanded and commandeered (laughs) to help basically clean up some of her references and that process was simply to look at the paper and then go to a 
a, a scholarly website that had, you know, that could reference like the, uh, the DOI number and look that up and make sure that it was in there in the bibliography, make sure the bibliography was formatted the right way for this particular journal. It took me about two hours um, of, you know, sort of back and forth between two different websites and looking it up and et cetera. Chicago, stand up. <laughs> and it probably would have taken about 10 seconds for one of these machine learning slash AI tools to do. And as it was, because she hired unskilled labor to do it, she had to check it. <laughs> but, you know, but she was able to at least, you know, save herself that two hours of effort by having me do it. Mm-hmm. And by extension, you know, with some of these newer tools that are out there, that to me is the kind of thing to where one of the where she can then be at her highest and best use. My wife often uses this term of working at the top of her license. You know, we're talking about some of the newly minted doctors. And, and right now, because they're in their starting out residency, they're going to be doing things like drawing blood and all kinds of other things. But once they've actually finished their training, that's not what they should be doing. They should actually be doing the surgeries that they've been trained for. They should actually be doing practicing family medicine or pediatrics or doing the things that they were trained to do as opposed to some of these more preliminary, more, I won't call them basic because having a bad phlebotomist is the worst. And so to me, if you can then train via machine learning, via whatever you want to call it, to have these tools that can then save us from that sort of menial drudgery? Don't you call education drudgery? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about... Don't you call learning drudgery? I'm talking about matching up the bibliography to the appropriate research document number. I mean, that is just basic, you know, it's an administrative task that is definitely suited towards a machine learning type of process. And so to me, that's that to me is the optimism is that if we can sort of bend that curve a little bit, instead of trying to create some omniscient, you know, being of some sort that we can then go to for these canonical answers, which I'll go back and say again, are inherently going to be flawed because until we have all 7 billion people's stories fed into this thing. And the minute you do that, someone's going to be born. So you're going to be immediately be obsolete it's not going to be omniscient in terms of human knowledge. It's just not. And so, I mean, it's, 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 it's clearly not going to be omniscient just at face value because it's not going to have every single person's story in it. And it's not going to have every single point of view in it. And so if we stop aiming towards that goal and say, how can we help humanity do less of the tedium, less of the drudgery, then I think that is a better course and one that, that helps us all. How can humanity be saved from being commandeered for these mundane tasks? And yet. <laughs> and yet. I also have to say we have to do it in a way that does not, you know, as we build these tools, you know, in the quality control process that we're not being exploitive there too. Because the... The, mod- the content moderation side of these things is also a very unseemly side, as we talked about uh, previously. So, Yes. Now, going back to this question again, though, so looking sort of five years down the line, 10 years down the line, maybe 20 years down the line, are there other visions of our future that you have that are potentially enabled by AI? 
I think that like I was I'm part of a, a group of developers and we were talking about So passe. I know. But we were talking about Chat GPT and Which does a great job of writing code, by the way, which you know already. Right. Well that's a whole different thing. But yes, it does. But what was interesting was that sort of after that meeting the the one of the people who were, was presenting asked these tools to give a summary of the meeting, and you know it's fed a transcript and it comes back with a summary, and I think that's a great example, you know, especially when we have so many Zoom meetings and so many you know remote you know collaborative types of meetings, which I think is a wonderful use of technology in general. And I signed up for that platform, but I can't remember the name of it now. Um, Zoom? I'm not sure if that's the one that you guys used, but there is one that I signed us up for that does that very thing. But I think that's a great example because it's one of those things to where if, as we look towards our future, one, especially as we've, as we've come, out of, come out to what we call sort of like, you know, pandemic normal. Pajamas and sneakers? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it's one of those things that it's come a little bit more to the forefront that you're going to be taken away from work due to family obligations, or maybe you're working from home and maybe you have to step out for your kid's doctor appointment or things like that. And part of the challenge there is that you're going to miss a meeting. And it's not necessarily one of the participants in that meeting that you missed. It's not necessarily their highest and best use to catch you up. Do you know what I mean? And so if there's a transcript of that meeting and then the, the machine learning, the AI, can say, well, here's kind of the, the summary of that meeting, and here are the three action items that were assigned to you. That, then, to me, is something that really helps us all move forward. And, and I'm obviously I'm in these rarefied white-collar circles, but I, mean, but I think that in terms of you know, allowing workers to be at their highest and best use, I think that helps everybody. Uh, and if we can have these tools come back and make it to where you don't have as much of a penalty for, you know, you had to step away for a moment because you needed to breastfeed your child, you know, and so you missed a meeting. Well, you know, Siri, catch me up. We're not too far from a situation where the meeting is altogether unnecessary because if they know what it is that you're doing typically and what your assignments are and what Joe Blow's doing typically and what their assignments are, Let's just sort of run an algorithm that says these are the things that need to happen. These are the people who are responsible for this. This is what would have come out of this meeting is that you're responsible for X, Y, and Z, and you over here are responsible for A, B, and C. Let's get to it. Meetings themselves can become obsolete. Well, to actually run with that for just a moment, I have a, a team meeting with a group of developers that I'm working with. That, uh, we're working on a couple of different projects, and so we get together on a regular basis, obviously, to discuss the project. And a chunk of that time is spent, once again, catching each other up. Here's what I've done. And because that team is sort of spread across the world, so shout out to um, Kiza East Africa. Rwanda, stand up. Yeah. But the, but so occasionally, because of the time zone difference, I had them send me a Loom video. So Loom is a platform mm-hmm. that allows you to both screen record and mm-hmm. capture a little vignette of, of yourself, a little selfie video, Zoom style. Mm-hmm. And then it's posted and you can then uh, watch it separately. Mm-hmm. 
And so for certain things, I'm like, hey, work on this and give me a loom of, of you demonstrating it all out and et cetera. And so what will happen is that I'll have in my inbox, you know, a handful of these loom videos. And it's the kind of thing to where what would be nice would be if I could feed that to a machine learning and AI type of thing. And, and I'm you sure can. I can't. Good. And have it give me a summary saying, okay, the team has done X, Y, Z, and Q. What remains, because it should reference our project, you know, Kanban board, etc. What remains is card A and card B. Easy breezy. And that would be very helpful to me as someone who is, is leading these projects and managing these projects on behalf of my client. Because then I can come back and say, okay, Mr. Client, here's kind of what's going on with very little of my time being used up. With no time of your time being used up, actually. Because well, the next next stage is, here's what, quote-unquote, should happen next. For that part of it, certainly. And, and I think, going back to the idea of machine learning and, and these AI tools as tools, I think that's where that can move us all forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you might say, well, that's fine for you up there in your, 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 your fancy, you know, consultant job. But what about me, because I'm a farmer or something like that? Robots to get rid of you, too. <laughs> but, but I don't want to get rid of you, you know. Nor do I. But, but, but I mean, I'm, but it's but, the kind of thing to where. But we got to face reality, though. But you could have, you know, you could use the same ideas, these, these same drones and and visual technologies. So have a, a drone fly over your field and say, hey, you know, here's kind of what's going on. Here's where growth is happening. Here's where water needs to happen. This is already happening now, ladies and gentlemen. We have some information about this in our conversation menu. Yes, and so. But take that sort of essentially to the next level. So that way you as the farmer, you're able to better manage your crops, have better yield, have it, have have less loss, use less pesticides, use, you know, essentially rotate your crops in a more intelligent way. I think that that could allow, you know, even, you know, quote, you know, manual labor to be done more effectively. One could argue that all you would be doing is observing the management of your crops. Perhaps. Perhaps. And at the same time, though, there's some of it that, and maybe maybe I'm a jingoistic human, <laughs> but some of it I also believe that there is a, a bit of artistry to it, where you're there and you look at the soil and you smell the soil and you, I mean, you're drawing a picture of the drone while it's doing the management of your crops for you, that kind of artistry. Look at that drone driving you out <laughs> of existence. I'll write a song to that. But may I mean, the, har- my point may is, the harvest come soon. My point is, though, is I think that, that these tools can provide deep analytics that can help anyone in their job if you're doing, you know, fill in the blank. Much in the same way, I'll, get, I'll give you a different example. Much in the same way that sites like Etsy, E to the T to the S to the Y, have allowed there to be a global marketplace for people who are small-scale producers. Mm -hmm. So people who are homemakers or home crafters, things like that, small-scale. I just recently had something show up from, from England, from London. I have a whole folder dedicated to Amharic related products. Right. And so, so if you can then allow machine learning and AI to help write your marketing copy, and, and not because it's going to be on top of the current trends, 
Because the, the challenge with the language model-based AI, and actually all of these AI tools, is that they're inherently reflective. So they're, because their output is based on prior input. As may stand up. And so, so the thing is, is that, you know, it'll help you write current marketing copy. You'd still need to hire a marketing person to talk about where the gestalt is, you know, as your business grows, as your business blows up, where, where things are going to go. You really don't. I disagree. Social media is already sort of filled with the work of ChatGPT already. Tools that churn that out instantaneously. So I'm not saying that a human can't do a quote-unquote better, but that kind of thing, marketing. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, what I'm um, talking about, if you're marketing a current extant product mm-hmm, right now, mm-hmm. then sure, you could have something current in the, with whatever the current trends are mm-hmm. and have that happen. But, for example, I have a very good friend of mine who um, a long time ago was part of the marketing team at Apple. And that whole, you know... This is going to date me. But that whole thing with like the dancing silhouettes when the iPod first came out mm-hmm. and all that, that was a novel idea. And the whole Think Different campaign coming out of Apple was a novel idea. And so when you talk about novel new ideas, mm-hmm. that's where humans, I think, at least for in my opinion, my opinion, the foreseeable future are going to continue to have a very strong role. Absolutely. And so so going back to my, you know, how this plays out for, you know, the quote little guy, unquote, you know, if you've if you've got your Etsy shop, one, you've got technology helping enable you there. Two, you know, if if Etsy suddenly becomes machine learning AI powered, then me on the consuming end, you know, I'm looking for something for my wife for her birthday coming up. You better. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> then then the if if i've granted it i mean and this is i'm speaking a little bit in the future tense the near future tense you know if i've granted it you know much in the same way that you can grant your browser permission to access your location for the day you know maybe my my on device you know machine learning you know siri can then talk to this to this website for an hour which and probably 10 seconds is probably all it needs to get all my information. But, but maybe they have these two things interact with each other, much in the same way that you share your location for a brief period of time. And then it's like, oh, well, here's what you've done, and here's what the sorts of things, the, the pictures you've liked, and all this other stuff. And that way the, the two machine learning algorithms can interact with each other and say, here on Etsy are some things that might really be appealing for you to give to your wife. And to me, I mean, that really helps me as a husband. But also it helps the small provider who am I really going to spend, I mean, and I've done it, but it's it's not necessarily the best use of time. I've spent hours banging around Etsy or cruising all over the internet looking for just the right thing. All Etsy has to do is send you a red light. (laughs) (laughs) That was really funny. (laughs) But but the thing is, is that being able to better connect me with small providers, Mm -hmm. I think is a great use of machine learning in terms of having an analysis of my, my likes and desires and proclivities, and then also then being able to take that out 
and you know essentially um, um, pop that out into the marketplace. You can always rock the blue light too. Prince, stand up. But I mean, but to me, having those tools better enable the marketplace can help at sort of at the at, at all ends of the spectrum. And and that's what I'm talking about. Having these AI and machine learning tools be tools. So overall, would you say looking forward again, so you know, five, ten years, fifteen years down the line, are you optimistic? Are you neutral? Or do you see a more again dystopian future awaiting us as it relates to AI? If you had to choose one of those, which one would it be? I'm optimistic but knowing that we're going to have to have kind of the equivalent of our, this is a bad example, but we're going to have to have. Bad robot, bad robot. Well, we're going to have like a Hindenburg moment. I hope not. Well, I mean, but we're going to have some sort of, hopefully, small scale catastrophe. Led Zeppelin, stand up. <laughs> but, I mean, and, and the reason why, and I don't mean to be like dour about it, but the thing is, is that, it's very seductive to think that we could have this Oracle, you know, small O Oracle, not the company Oracle, but that could then tell us everything we could ever want to know and, and answer all those qu- burning questions we've always wanted to ask. Wikipedia, stand up. But, I mean, I think that, that you know, as these machine learning tools get pushed out into medicine and get pushed out into the legal system, I think what's going to happen is, like all software, there's going to be a bug in the software. There's going to be a gap baked into the, to the, to the knowledge base. The data set is going to be incomplete. And sadly, I fear that it will create, hopefully, small-scale catastrophe that will then wake everyone up to say, oh, right, you know, hopefully more than half of humanity will be on the internet by then. But like, oh, right, this is not comprehensive. This answer is not canonical unto itself. And so I think human nature is that we all have to touch the stove and burn our hand before we actually realize, oh, we got to be careful. Hopefully you don't have a big burn or a serious burn, but I think that it's almost human nature that you have to touch that stove and get a little bit of a burn um, and feel and feel, or at least feel how hot it is before you have that visceral lesson. And well, people of color are already getting that lesson. We've already been burned in that regard already. The issue right. is is whether other people actually sort of feel that burn and share that concern. But that's what I mean by it's unfortunately going to have to get to the level of a of hopefully once again small scale catastrophe because it's going to have to get enough to work gets you know larger society's attention the powers that be in society get getting their attention and then once we've had that moment hopefully just one moment hopefully we learn the lesson fast then i think we'll then say yeah these are all tools i hope we don't have to wait until it's cylons showing up to wipe us out would you like to play a game (laughs) No, Joshua, I would not. <laughs> so in a nutshell, you're saying that it's all going to hell in a handbasket. No, I'm not saying? saying that at all. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. We just have to be sober in our analysis and realistic as we move forward. Right. And we have to be aware of. And deliberate as we move forward. Yes. And aware of the fact that 
there is a limited scope of inputs. We can input forever. And we will be inputting forever. I mean, that's the thing. Excel goes on and on and on and on. Exactly. All right. So we are almost out of time, unfortunately. Still plenty to talk about in regards to this AI conversation, especially what an oversight agency might look like. Mm -hmm. In my estimation, that is next to impossible for a whole host of reasons. I will detail why when the conversation continues in our next episode. But in the meantime, we have to talk about the Afrofuturism exhibit at the National Museum of African American History and Culture. We are so excited about this. Yeah, it's awesome. If you go to the website for the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture, that's nmahc.si.edu. What, what? And if you do a search on Afrofuturism, you'll find out about this exhibition they have coming up. Um, and it's actually, I think it's already just started. So it's a full year. It actually starts on March 24th. So it's about to jump off awesome. any second now. So it's going to go for a whole year. Mm-hmm. And they give a definition of Afrofuturism, which I think is spot on. Afrofuturism expresses notions of black identity, agency, and freedom through art, creative works, and activism that envision liberated futures for black life. And so I think this is going to be a really fantastic exhibition. I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad I got a year to get out there. And they also have a companion book that goes with the exhibition. It is um, Afrofuturism, A History of Black Futures. And shout out, by the way, to Yasha Womack, who is the author of the upcoming Black Panther, A Cultural Exploration book. And that book comes out. We're going to be talking about that too, mm-hmm. uh, both as a hardcover and as an ebook. For real, though. Yeah, it's going to be a great book. Just the previews I've seen have been awesome. But going back to Afrofuturism, this whole notion of exploring the history of what the futures looked like. You know, we always talk right now about how in you know, wow, where's my flying car? Because in the past, people were saying, oh, by the year 2023, we'd be in a flying car. About. Still have a few more months to get that flying car in effect. Well, Don't sleep on 2023. Listen, you're right. You're right. Don't it sleep can, on it. It can still happen. But but this book, I think, is going to be really interesting. So if, even if you can't make it out to Washington, D.C. to check out the exhibition, you can check out this book. And it's, the description says, it's a timely and gorgeously illustrated companion book to the exhibition that explores the power of Afrofuturism to reclaim the past and reimagine black futures. If we can, we'll have it in our bookshop. I know that our friends over at Sister Sci-Fi um, have it available for pre-order, so you can check them out at um, SisterSciFi.com. That's S-I-S-T-A-H-S-C-I-F-I.com. And, you know, this exhibition at the Smithsonian is going to be really fantastic. I just can't wait to, to go check it out. Absolutely cannot wait. We've been looking forward to this for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Super excited. And just really impressed with what the new director of the museum is doing. Really respect him a lot. Man, he actually had some comments to say about this exhibition. Welcome to Afrofuturism, the history of black futures in the Bank of America Special Exhibitions Gallery here at the National Museum of African American History and Culture. 
Afrofuturism means a lot of different things to me. Uh, I specifically remember watching with my father Star Trek uh, and seeing Lieutenant Uhura, whose uniform is here in the show. And I've spoken to many people about what an impact Nichelle Nichols, who played the role, uh, created. People really were responded to her and her use of Swahili, her use of science, and her symbolism on television. We also have astronauts who are inspired by her. We have Mae Jemison, the first black woman in space, who has directly talked about the way that she inspired her. There's something about the ways that these representations further our sense of travel. It's a really powerful show in that way. Afrofuturism is a way that African Americans have engaged the past and the present to think about the future. What I love about this show is it doesn't just talk about the present or science fiction, it goes beyond that. It thinks about the ways that the enslaved imagine new worlds. It thinks about the ways that Benjamin Banneker and his almanac pictured the stars and brought them home, if you will. And to have that legacy of Afrofuturism, to engage it throughout W.E.B. Du Bois's fantasy writings like Dark Water, or to think about the ways that Octavia Butler's typewriter provides a testament. And of course, Octavia Butler wrote about the future, but she also wrote about the ways that African-Americans and kindred go back in time. And that kind of conflict and that question around the past and the ways it can be repurposed for the present is part of Afrofuturism's legacy. It's a rich legacy that's still going on, and having everything in the show from Du Bois's uh, 1900 exposition designs that think about the future, they're so futuristic and modern looking, to the ways that the Black Panther suit embodies the hopes and dreams for many people. There's all their special items in the show, including Trayvon Martin's flight suit from Space Camp. The power of seeing his flight suit up close really has us think about the dreams that Trayvon Martin had, and the dreams that we all lost that day that he was killed. I think one of the richest ways we see Afrofuturism is through music. We have everything from Sun Ra in the show, to Parliament Funkadelic, to Nona Hendrix. And having those costumes uh, is really special to see them up close and see the ways that they embodied almost a kind of homemade, handmade, futuristic sense. Uh, that's really powerful. It's performative, but it's also personal. And Afrofuturism bonds those things together, whether it's listening to Outkast or thinking about the ways that Alice Coltrane embodies the cosmos. How do you capture that sense of outer space? I think that's really important and part of Afrofuturism's legacy. When people find really a visual, stunning show when they enter the space, uh, they'll be transported both into the past and into the future. Seeing all the costumes and uniforms from The Wiz to Parliament Funkadelic to thinking about the music that people made that imagined better and different worlds. If you can't imagine a new world, you can't imagine a better one. And Afrofuturism is very much thinking about that. Yeah, shout out to Kevin Young. That it was awesome. You know, people like him who are bringing these visions and to life and bringing them to the fore for all of us to see, not just members of the black diaspora, but to everyone. Because why does that matter? Because we're all one people. We are allies to all. We are focusing on experts, innovators, and entrepreneurs of African descent 
partly because that's who we are. But that's who he is. <laughs> but also in the sense of really driving towards a future where all of us and all of our cultures are co-equal. When we talk about Wakanda instantiating in this world. Wakadis. Some of us are talking about Wakadis, but I'm talking about the idea that, you know, that all cultures, and we're focusing on, on black and African cultures, being co-equal. So that way we all are represented, that we all make it to the future. And here at Sky is Black, that's what we're all about. I can't thank you, dear listener, enough for joining us today. We're going to continue this conversation. We are continuing to do a deep dive. We've only just touched briefly on uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and we're going to continue to do that here on Sky is Black. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Sky is underscore B to the L to the C to the K. On Facebook, you can find us at Sky is. Do not make me say this again. There is no underscore with Facebook. Sky is B to the L to the C to the K. And then on the web at skyisblack.com and recollect.media. That's right. If you want to reach out to us individually, I really enjoy all the feedback, all the comments that we receive. Most of them. <laughs> you know, actually, I, all of them. All actually, of them. I like all of them. Even the ones, yeah, even yeah. the haters. You know what? The haters. Um, haters going to hate. They're going to hate. And and frankly, you know what? They're informative. They're informative. Yes. Exactly. You can reach me at Anton at skiesblack.com. And you can reach me at B. Francis Clark at skiesblack.com. So until next time, we want to once again thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you or hear you or you'll hear us soon at Sky is Black. Sky is utopian. Sky is machine learning as a tool. Sky is jetpack competitions. <laughs> Sky is me being in the audience. Sky is for the win. <laughs> Sky is black. Sky is. Sky is. Sky is. Semi to corner. <laughs>